let's take a look. This is a, a, the third part of a, a lesson on do versus done. Do versus done. Last week we talked about we don't have to be Avis Renicar Christians. We don't have to be Avis Renicar Christians. Now, I went on YouTube and tried to find one of the old Avis commercials, and they are on there, but I couldn't find any good ones. But every one of the commercials I look at, they all ended with the same phrase, the same words came up there. We try harder. And unfortunately, a lot of people try to get to heaven that way. I'm just going to try harder, and I'm going to try harder. I'm going to be better, and I'm going to stop doing this, and I'm going to start doing that, and, 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 and hopefully my good will outweigh my bad. And then what's also sad is that after we come to Christ, sometimes that's how we try to get closer to Christ. I'm going to try harder. Okay, I know I'm saved by grace. He did it for me, but now I'm going to do whatever I can do to become more acceptable to Him. Well, we saw last week that if good people aren't good enough to go to heaven, if good people aren't good enough to go to heaven, then this week I want to ask the question, then who can go to heaven? Can anyone go to heaven? I mean, uh, we, you know, we assume bad people aren't going to go there, but if good people can't go there, then can anyone go there? So I want you to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 10, and we're going to read verses 5 through 13. Verses 5 through 13. And Paul is basically giving us a simple gospel presentation. How can anyone go to heaven? How can anyone go? And so let's look at it. And the first thing you see in verse 5 is there's a little word for. That means he's explaining what he just said in the previous uh, first four verses. Let's read verses 5 through 13. Notice what it says. For Moses writes about the righteousness that's based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says this, Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is, to bring Christ down. Or, who will descend into the abyss? That is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord... And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Why? For with the heart one believes and is justified, declared righteous, right with God. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. That means at the final judgment, God will turn no one away who believes in Jesus Christ. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Man, it's a classic passage. Uh, Romans 10, 9 and 10, uh, often used in presenting the gospel. Uh, there is so many riches in here. But I just want to kind of do a, a, an overview of it and, and just address this simple question. How can anyone go to heaven? And so there's really two, two steps in that process. Let me give them to you. Number one, repent. The first one is repent. Repent. And that's, that's what we see in verse 5. We need to repent. Well, what do you mean by repent? Notice what it says in your notes. Come to terms with the fact that you can never do enough. Come to terms with the fact that you can never do enough to obey the whole law perfectly. Because that's the standard. The whole law, and it's done perfectly. But we've got to come to, to, come ter- to terms with the fact that we can never do enough. Now look at verse 5 again that I just read. Notice what it says. For Moses writes about righteousness that's based on the law. Okay, I'm going to get right with God by being a good person, by being obedient, by by obeying his rules, by keeping the rules. And here's what Moses writes, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. Now, what's going on with that? Well, first of all, Paul is again using the Old Testament to defend 
what he is teaching about why the majority of Jews are not saved. All throughout Romans 9 and 10, he's talking about why do so many of God's chosen people, why is the nation of Israel rejecting Jesus Christ? Why has so many of them rejected him when they have God's word? They have all these privileges. And so he's using the Old Testament to show them, look, what has happened is, a, is exactly what God has said all along in his word. And so here Paul is quoting Leviticus 18.5. Now, here's what Leviticus 18.5 says. And God is speaking to the children of Israel. Here's, here's my law and here's what he says. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. What's he really saying? He's just simply saying this. If you're going to... If you're going to live by the law, then you got to keep the law. If you keep the law, you will live. And what's implied in the opposite of that? If you don't keep the law, if you don't obey God, what happens to you? Instead of life, you get death. Instead of blessing, you get cursing. And so he's he's saying, look, the Old Testament makes it clear. If you're going to try to live by the law, then you, I said it last year, if, you, if you're going to, if you're going to play by the rules, then you're going to die by the rules. You're going to live by the rules. You know, you, if that's how you're going to go. Now, Paul's using the Old Testament, the law of Moses, to prove what he just said in Romans 10, 1 through 4. Last week, we said good people won't go to heaven because no one's good enough. Being religious isn't good enough. The Jews were religious. Being zealous, sincere, spiritual, not good enough. The Jews were zealous, uh, the sincere, and, and, and they were just over-the-top fanatical. Not good enough. Doing good is not good enough. And keeping the rules is not good enough. Why? Why what did we learn last week? Why is all those things not good enough? Because only Christ is good enough to make you good enough to go to heaven. Only Christ is good enough to make you. Now... Basically, all Paul's doing in verse 5 is quoting Leviticus 18.5 to make the same point that's repeatedly taught in the New Testament. I want you to look up these verses. So look at James 2.10. Look in your Bibles at James 2.10. Or do you have it it in your notes? Maybe you have it. You have it in your notes? Okay, you can look at it in your notes. For whoever keeps the what? The whole law, but fails in what? has become accountable for how much of it? All of it. Galatians 3.10. For all who rely on the works of the law, in other words, I'm going to live by the law, that's exactly what he's saying, are under a what? Curse. For it's written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by what? All things written in the book of the law, and abide means and do them. Okay? You know, so we, we get real deceived. James talks about it. Don't be hearers of the word, be doers also. You know, sometimes we think, well, I hear these sermons, so I'm doing them. No, God's standard is not only to know what I expect, but to do it and to do it perfectly. Look at Galatians 3.11. Same passage from, from Leviticus is quoted. So Paul used this quite frequently when he was trying to convince people you cannot Live by your good works. Your good works just aren't good enough. Look at Galatians 3.11. Now, it is evident that no one, no one, no exceptions, is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Now we know exactly what Paul's trying to say. He's saying this, that if you're going to try to live by your good works, then you've got to do it perfectly, and if you don't, you're under the curse. But there's another way, a way that's not based on what you do. It's based on what God has done in Christ, and that means faith. So the point is the same. Whether you're quoting Leviticus 18.5 or you're quoting all these New Testament, you can never do enough to obey the whole law perfectly. So the question begins, so how can someone go to heaven? How can anyone be made right with God? The first step is critical. You've got to walk away from you doing it. You've got to turn. That's what repent is. And upstairs, it's amazing how these two uh, passages, we're going to talk about the second cry from the cross and how it just overlaps with today's message. And, and we have to turn. We have to turn away and say, look, I can't do this. I cannot do this. I can never do enough. You have, In other words, 
let me put it this way. The only way anyone can be saved is you have to accept the bad news about you before you can accept the good news about Christ. And here's the bad news. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin for having fallen short is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So that brings us to the second step. And it's this. Once you have turned from your own efforts, after you repent, the next step is believe. 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 And what do you mean by believe? Just just be sincere? Just hope for the best? No. Choose to trust in what God has already done. Choose to trust in what God has already done in Christ to save you. So I repent and I say, look, I can't do enough. I can't do enough. In fact, I've done so much bad, I deserve to go to hell. But now I'm going to turn and I'm going to choose to trust what God has already done in Christ to save me. And that's the rest of verses 6 through 13. Because notice what he says in verse 6. But in contrast to the law, the righteousness that's based on faith, on what Christ has done, not what I do, the righteousness based on faith says this, do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Who will descend to the abyss? That is to bring Christ up. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Now, have you you ever read that? How many of you read that passage? And how many of you thought, now that's a weird passage. That is a weird passage. Okay, now I, I studied it all this week, last week. It's still a weird passage, okay? It's just a weird passage, okay? And so we're gonna, I'm going to try to help you understand it a little bit. But once you kind of get the idea of it, if I do my job well today, you'll walk away going, oh, that's pretty cool. Okay, so let's take a look at it. What is he saying? Well, he's using the next eight verses, these next eight verses, 6 through 13, to drive home this truth. Choose to trust in what God has already done in Christ. Now, Notice the first thing that he says, verse 6. But the righteousness based on faith says. Now, this is freaky. Now, just look at it in your Bible. But the righteousness based on faith. Okay, so he's got righteousness talking like it's a human being. Okay, that's weird right there. Okay, righteousness is talking like it's a person. The righteousness based on faith says. Then he's going to quote from the Old Testament. He's going to quote from Deuteronomy 4 or Deuteronomy 9 and Deuteronomy 8 and Deuteronomy. So he's going to quote the Old Testament. Now, that's kind of weird. He says the righteousness based on faith. Now, before when he quoted from the Old Testament in verse 5, how did he introduce that quote in verse 5? Read the whole phrase. But Moses writes about it. And he quotes from the Old Testament, Leviticus. Now he's going to quote from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy. Why doesn't he say, and Moses writes this about righteousness by faith? He doesn't do that. And yet, both times, he's quoting the Old Testament. What is going on here? Well, I think a couple things. First of all, he's wanting to show that the Old Testament and the New Testament agree that salvation is never by doing enough. It's always by grace through faith. Here's what he's trying to say. He's trying to say, yeah, I'm going to quote Moses. Yeah, I'm going to quote the law. But what's said in the law is the same thing that's said in the New Testament. Salvation is never by keeping the law. It's always by faith in what God has done. And this is something we talked about last week. So often we think, well, Old Testament, that was by works, and they just couldn't get it done, so Israel's condemned, but us Gentiles, we know it's by faith. And so we've got this thing figured out. And that's not what's going on. In the Old and the New, the same message was being preached. So he's basically preaching the gospel from the Old Testament. And he, but he wants to set up this kind. So the second thing I think what he's what he wants to do is he wants to show that the majority of Jews have missed the true meaning of the law. 
They focus more on the written letter of the law. See, they loved it. Okay, this is what Moses said. Let's look at the law and let's keep the law and let's be real rigid and real religious and real meticulous. And let's, let's compare ourselves to the pagans and say how much better we are. Moses, it's written. Moses, it's written. And they were looking at the letter of the law and missing the true meaning of the law. And so I, that's why he's setting this up and he's saying, look, if you want to be legalistic about this, If you want to work your way, then you look at Moses, you look at the law, and you read Leviticus 18.5. If you're going to live by the law, then you've got to keep the law. But if you're convicted of your sin and you realize, I can't measure up, I can't try harder, I'm not Avis, then you look at the Old Testament and you look at it for what God intended and you're going to see that there's a righteousness that's by faith in there. And so when you come at it with God's spirit and when you come at it with what God is saying in the Old Testament, you're like, wow, the Old Testament is saying the same thing as the New Testament. I can't measure up. You know, what I think is interesting is he says Moses writes. Okay, that's a man and he's writing and it's on paper or actually it was written on stone. It's dead. It's lifeless. It's just there saying measure up, measure up. Do better. Try harder. Doesn't help me. Does that help you? You know, you ever, if you ever trying to, to lose weight or exercise and you're just told, try harder, try harder, and you get more depressed, you get more discouraged. But look at verse 6. The righteousness based on faith says it isn't written, it is speaking. It is alive. It is action. It is God at work for you. So he's setting up, I think he's really setting up a huge contrast between six and five. And he says, look, if you're going to, listen, you say, okay, enough talk about Jews. What about me? Listen, if you're just going to come to this Bible and you're just going to read it as God just telling you to get better, to clean up your act, you're going to come away from church and you're going to come away from the Bible and you're going to come away saying, I can't do this. But if you will come to the word of God and realize that God is living and active and through this book, he is actively speaking to you. He is actively revealing, I can do this in you. I have done this for you in the person of Christ. Then all of a sudden, you're going to get you a daily reading Bible and say, I want to be in there every day because it tells me how to live, not by my efforts, but by what God has done in Christ. I'm going to glory in Christ. I'm going to glory in what he has done. <laughs> okay, okay. I was just being blessed by what I was saying. I was wondering if anybody else was was listening. I are you, do you understand? Have you ever approached it as if what God has written versus what God is saying to me? Shake your head. I mean, have you, have you approached it those two ways? Hey, the Word of God is amazing. What a subtle, dynamic... Con- Here's what he... Listen, the reason the majority of Israel and so many people today reject Christ is because they're trying to measure up to something that they will never measure up to rather than letting the gospel preach to them good news. But remember, you can't grasp the good news until you accept the bad news that I can't do. Now, so he sets us up with that. But the righteousness based on faith says, and what's the thing it says? What's the next phrase? Verse 6. What's it say? Come on now. But the righteousness that's based on faith says, what's the next phrase? Do not say in your heart. Do not say in your heart. Now, already he's starting to quote the Old Testament. Already he's starting to reference. And there's two passages that I want you to look at. Uh, Are these in your notes? I'm just like, you know, preaching three times in a week. I don't know. Tyrone used to do four a week. I don't know how he did. Okay. Look at these two passages. These are the two passages that he's referencing. When he says, do not say in your heart, anybody who was a Jew and knew the Old Testament would immediately think of Deuteronomy, which for 
the, the Israelites, Deuteronomy was the book of the Bible. Okay, it's the second giving of the law. It's the book that Jesus quoted from three times when he resisted the devil. I mean, this is a passage they had memorized. And so when he says, do not say in your heart, they're thinking, da, 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 da. they're going through the file system of their heart where they've hidden God's word. And they're going, whoa, Deuteronomy 9.4. Whoa, Deuteronomy 18.17. Look at these two passages. Do not say in your heart, Israel, when the Lord your God has driven them out before you. In other words, when he's given you the land, the promised land, and he's driven out your enemies, and he's done for you everything that he promised to do, and that you have trusted him to do by faith. Do not say in your heart, because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. I was so good, God drove them out because they're bad and I'm good. And isn't God lucky to be able to do things like this for me? But it's because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is dispossessing them before you. Hey, it's got nothing about you being good. It's about God judging them for their sin. And by the way, Israel, you're just as wicked, but you have placed your faith in me. I have revealed myself. It's all by grace. Look at the second passage, Deuteronomy 8, 17. Beware, lest you say in your heart, same message. My power and the might of my hand has gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to his fathers as it is this day. Now, help me out here today. What is he trying to get them to trigger in their mind when he's quoting You know, he says, do not say in your heart, and if you know those two passages, look at those two passages. What's the common theme in those two passages? What's the common message? What? I did this. And is that the approved message by God or the, the wrong way to think about it? It's the wrong way. He's saying, do not, do not say this is what I have done. So you see what... How he's setting up the righteousness based on faith says, don't ever think that you are good enough. Don't ever think that you have done enough. And don't you dare, once you have accepted Christ, think, all because of me. See, he's setting this up. Don't you think you're better than anyone else? Don't think that. The point is, it's not by your works. Not by my works, it's by God's grace. Now he moves on to the really weird part, okay? And he moves now to Deuteronomy 30, verses 11 through 13. And the parts, in most of your Bibles, the parts that refer to Christ are in parentheses. Because that's not part of the Old Testament quote. So the Old Testament quote kind of goes like this. Who will ascend into heaven? Or who will descend into the abyss? The word is near you, it's in your mouth, it's in your heart. Well, let's... Let's look at this. Deuteronomy 30, 11 through 14. Do you have that? Turn that in your Bible. This is, what he, this is the Old Testament passage he's quoting. But then he interspurts, he, he applies it to Christ in the gospel. And that's why it gets weird because, let's be honest, we're not familiar enough with the Old Testament to know what, what he's saying. And then we just want a simple gospel that is unrelated to the Old Testament. Folks, we've got a Bible with two covenants. We've got a Bible of 66 books, and we need to know them all. Again, daily reading Bible. I, I, God, I was so blessed. One of the guys in, in, in my iLife group said, you know what? I'm reading parts of the Bible that I've never read before. And he said, shame on me. But I'm reading parts of the Bible I'd never read before. And, and, and we need to be reading all of it. Okay, let's, let's look at Deuteronomy 30, 11 through 14. Notice what it says. For this commandment, Moses is speaking to Israel. It's the end of Deuteronomy. He's given the law. They're, you know, He's ready to die. Joshua is ready to take over. They're ready to go in the promised land. And here's what he's saying. And, and he's, he's, he, it's, it's invitation time. Time for you to commit to doing what God has revealed. And here's what Moses says. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you. Neither is it far off. It's not in heaven that you should say, well, who's going to ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea 
And the word for sea there is the same word for the deep, the abyss. It's not beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear, hear it and do it. But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth. It is in your heart so that you can do it. And that last phrase is very important, so that you can do it. Here's what he's saying there. He's saying, Israel, don't you dare make any excuses about not knowing what God expects of you. Don't you make any excuses to say, well, God, I didn't know. I didn't know your word because after all, I can't go up into heaven and ask you for a consultation. And, and I certainly can't go all the way over the sea and, 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 and figure out what you want me to do. What Moses, or actually it's God speaking, what God is saying to them is this. Look, Israel, I came down on Mount Sinai. I came down to you and I told you what I required. And what I require, you have heard it with your ears. It is, you have heard it with your heart. You have even spoken it with your mouth. God has revealed what he requires in the Old Testament. And what Paul is now doing, now look at Romans, go back to Romans 10. And look at verses 6 through 8 again. And he's saying the same thing. He's making the same point from that passage. He's saying, look, you knew what God required in the Old Testament. And yet you chose to disobey. Remember, Romans 10 is about human responsibility. You know, many of us wanted, couldn't wait to get out of Romans 9. I shouldn't say many. Some of us wanted to get out of Romans 9 because that God's sovereignty part. I want into that human responsibility part. You know what? The God's sovereignty part is much more Comforting brings blessing. Why? Because the human responsibility part is, so how'd you measure up? Are you doing what God wants? Well, yeah, but, 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 and, and God's saying, no buts. I came down and I told you what I expected. The problem is not with God. Who's the problem with? It's us. We rebel. We don't obey. And so now he's saying the same thing in Romans 10. Look at verses 6 through 9 again. But the righteousness based on the faith says, do not say in your heart, hey, this is what I've done. Who will ascend into heaven? And now he's applying that ascending to heaven to the New Testament, to the gospel, and says, don't say in your heart, well, who's going to bring Christ down? Or who will descend to the abyss? And he, and, he, and, he, and he takes the application of the ocean, the abyss, and applies it to hell and to death and says, who's going to go down to death and bring Christ up? You know, who can do that? But what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. Not the Old Testament law, but the word of faith that we proclaim. Now, let me try to, you're like, okay, that's, that's still as confusing as when I read it by myself. Okay, so let me try to help you with it. Here's the best I can do. God has done what is humanly impossible in the person and work of Christ. There's no one here that could go up and bring a Savior down. And there's no one who can go down and do enough to get someone out of hell. Are you with me? I can't get myself to heaven, and I can't get you to heaven, and I can't take myself out of hell, and I can't take another person out of hell. But God has done what's humanly impossible. You know what he's saying there? God came down to us in the incarnation because we could never do enough to get up to heaven. Because we couldn't get up there with our good works, he came down to do our good works for us. And get this, God brought Jesus up from the dead in the resurrection because we could never suffer enough to get ourselves out of hell. Now, some of you... Don't re that doesn't resonate with you because you don't have a background where you were taught that even if you believe in Christ, you may go to purgatory and have to suffer even further for your sins. And what he's saying there is, listen, I don't care how many times you knock on doors like some religious sects, to earn God's favor. I don't care how many mission trips for two years you go, like some religious cults. I don't care how much you suffer in purgatory. You can't bring Jesus down, and you can't bring him up out of hell. God has already done it for you. Isn't that beautiful? 
Man, you're right, amen. Let me give you two issues we struggle with as, with as sinners in coming to Christ. So look at what I'm saying. Two issues that we struggle with as sinners in coming to Christ. Now, this is, this is good stuff here. Let me, and, and it applies directly to this passage. First of all, we struggle in coming to Christ by taking too much responsibility. We take too much responsibility. I can do this. I can do this. Oh, yeah, Jesus, you can come in and help a little bit, but I can do this. Listen. If, and I've said this so many times, but it's, it's so true. That if you'll witness to, Christ, witness to lost people more, if you'll do this more often, you will, you will see how much people struggle with this. Because when you come to the part and say you're not good enough, they're going to, they, they don't put their hand, maybe they'll put their hand up, but in their heart, they put that hand up and say, wait a minute, you're saying I'm not good enough. And you've got to say, you're right. I'm not either. It's not me. It's God that's saying that. We take too much responsibility. I can do this alone. I can pull myself up by my bootstraps. I can do this. Maybe I need a little help, but I can do this, taking too much responsibility. I think we understand that. But there's a second problem, a second struggle in coming to Christ, and that's taking too little responsibility. Taking too little responsibility. And what do I mean by that? You witness to people and they say, yeah, I know I'm bad. You don't know how bad I am. In fact, let me tell you how bad I am. And they go through all the bad things. And, and you know, you might be having to stop your jaw from dropping because you're saying, you're thinking in your mind, wow, you are really bad, okay? That's far worse than what I've ever had to experience. And you know what they say often? They say, I just can't believe. I just can't. I, I, I just. But all you got to do is believe. I know that's all I can do, but I just can't do it. You ever witness to someone like that? They, 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 they say, look, I just can't believe that. I'll never forget Carmen Castillo when our class was oriented that way and it was half the size and, and uh, teaching on Romans. And after the service, she came up to me with, with big eyes. Her eyes were so big and she said, Chris, or Chris, um, are you saying that it's that easy? Are you, are, you, are you saying it's that easy? I'm saying, yeah, Carmen, it's that easy. See, what was she struggling with? She had been told for years, due to false doctrine and false teaching, that you've got to measure up. Oh, believe in Jesus, but try harder. Try harder. And to hear that all I have to do is believe, he was like, can it be that easy? And I said, yes. And in that day, Carmen accepted you. Didn't pray with her. Didn't have her walk an aisle. She just simply, it was in her heart and it was in her mouth. And she got saved. But she had to take responsibility to do what? To believe. You've got to believe. You do have to receive the free gift. That's what he's saying here. That's what he's saying. So, oh, I even skipped a whole point. Sorry about that. God has done what we couldn't do, so don't deny. Sorry. Don't deny what God has done in Christ. Don't deny that what God has done in Christ is sufficient to save anyone. See, here's the thing. Since God has done it, don't deny it. And that's what he's trying to get. He's saying, look, some of you are saying... I can't, you know, I can't get saved because I can't go up there and be good enough and I can't go down there and I can't suffer enough. And he's saying, don't deny that. Don't take too much responsibility, but at the same time, don't take too little. And so that brings us to number two. Well, let, let, me, let me stop before that, before we get there. Let's think about it. Basically, there's only two ways to work your way to heaven. And that is, I'm going to be better and do good. And that means going up. I'm going to be good enough to reach up to God. But there's a lot of other teaching that tells you, you've got to suffer more. You've got to go through purgatory, or you've got to, you've got to do penance, or you have to go to confessional. So you, you, you've got, you're not humble enough. You're not aware of how, you, you need to suffer a little more before God 
accept you. And that means going down. So I just want you to get in your mind these two ways. I mean, people are either trying to do two things. They're trying to get better or they're trying to get, you know, uh, suffer more that somehow God will accept them. And, and the bottom line is you don't have to do that. So don't deny that what God has done in Christ is sufficient to save anyone, including a sinner like you. And number two, do depend. Do depend completely. Don't deny, but do Depend completely on what God has done in Christ as sufficient to save you. Do depend completely. And that's in verses 9 and 10. Because here's he saying. He says, what does it say? Verse 8, what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. The word of faith that we proclaim. And why is it in your mouth? Why is it in your heart? Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in Christ will not be put to shame. Let me see two things that he's trying to say there. First of all, in verses 9 and 10. Christ and what he has done is easily available. It's easily available. Isn't it wonderful? I don't have to be better. I don't have to do gooder. Jesus has done it. It's it's right there for me. It's a gift. Take it. And you know what's also beautiful about it? Is I don't have to get badder. Okay? I don't have to go through more suffering. I don't have to punish myself. I don't have to... Listen, there's people... Oh, I, I, I Maybe I'll bring this in. How many of you have ever seen the movie The Mission? You ever seen the movie The Mission? Great movie, The Mission. Robert De Niro. Awesome movie. Set in Argentina and Brazil, Paraguay. And... It talks, and it's a picture of Roman Catholicism wherein this man is trying to do penance. And so he, he takes all of his uh, efforts of war because he was a soldier that had killed many people. And he puts them on his back and he climbs up and he had killed all these natives to bring them into slavery. And so to get God's forgiveness, he had to climb up this mountain. So he climbs up this waterfall in this mountain with this heavy burden on his back. And then the native Native people meet him at the top and they cut the burden off. And they roll it off. The only problem is that didn't touch the heart. See, even you go through all that, beat yourself up all you want, and you'll never be, you're, you're never bad enough to suffer enough for your sin. It's easily available. It's near to anyone. Now, here's all that's required. Look in your notes. All that's required. Once the gospel is preached to you, And once you hear it and understand it, there's only two things you have to do. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. What does it mean that Jesus is Lord? Let me give you three things that basically it means. It means many things. But it means, first of all, that he has the authority to save you. Hey, if he's not Lord of everything then whatever he's not Lord of could take your salvation from you. And after all, if there's someone greater than Jesus, then you ought to be worshiping that person instead of Jesus. So he has the authority to save. Jesus is Lord saying, you can save me. Not only does he have the authority to save, but he has the ability to save you. He has the ability to save you. Jesus is Lord. Not only does he have the authority, but the good news is this. His name is Jesus, which means Savior. He will use that authority and he will save you. Thirdly, Jesus is the only one who can save you. There is no other. Jesus is present tense, always true. Lord, there's big debate over lordship salvation, easy believism. Listen, if you separate the lordship of Jesus from being Savior, you don't have a Savior. The reason he can save us is because he's over devil. He's over sin. He's over Satan. He's over governments. There's nobody. He's over religious organizations that try to take your salvation from you. Nobody can take from you what Jesus has done for you. 
because he's Lord with the authority, the ability. And then don't play this down. It, it's not Buddha. It's not Muhammad. It's not Billy Graham. It's not me. It's not you. It's not your dad. It's not your mom. It's not the government. Jesus is the only one. That's awesome. Now, when you say Lordship Salvation, people don't have to clean up their life before they get saved. But they do need to understand that only Jesus can save you. He has the ability to save you because he rose from the dead and he's conquered sin. And he has the authority, all authority in heaven and earth to say, you are forgiven. And nobody can take that from you. But I'll tell you this, if that's who he is to save me, what does that mean our lives should be like after we are saved? See, there's a whole contradiction to say, Jesus is Lord, I'm saved, and then to live a life that shows that you're Lord. That just doesn't add up. So no, you don't have to get cleaned up afterwards, but you better be ready for him to clean you up after you get saved. And folks, we shouldn't save that message for after they get saved. We ought to tell them up front, here's what you're in for. Jesus not only saves sinners, but he turns you into, he, he turns you into righteous sinners. <laughs> That's the gospel. We are righteous sinners who should be sinning less and less and less. Why? Because Jesus is Lord. But Chris, it's so hard. I, I can't reach up. But Chris, I, 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 don't, I think I need to suffer more. No, no, no. Don't use that as a cop-out. If Jesus is Lord, God's done it all. Don't deny don't deny that what he's done is not sufficient to get you out of your sin that you're struggling with today. We, in this room, we're struggling with some besetting sins. We're struggling with some unbelief. And God is eliminated. Don't deny that what Jesus has done can work for you. And number two, do depend on what he's done and not what you can do. You say, I can't do it. I, 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 you know what I say? Wonderful. You are exactly right. You cannot quit sinning. You cannot overcome that besetting sin. You cannot set right priorities in your life. You can't, but I know who can. My God can supply all my needs in Christ Jesus. Through Christ, I can do anything. All right, you get the idea. Confess with your mouth. Believe with your heart. One more thing. Does that mean I have to say the right words? Is, what's confession there? Now, confessing and calling on the name of the Lord, because he goes on, he says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It kind of sounds like I have to confess and then I believe. Do you see that in verse 9? Confession comes first and then belief. But look at verse 10. Which comes first in verse 10? Believe and then what? Confess. So you have, here's what's going on. You've got confess. Oh, that's a scary You've got confess, and then you have believe. And then in verse 10, he says believe, and then you have what? Confess. You know what that's telling us? That's a way of saying what's the most important. Believe. At the heart of faith is belief, and that faith will come out. Why? Because the Bible says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And here's the point. You don't confess Jesus or pray a prayer in order to be saved. Praying does not save you, and saying the right words does not save you. This is one of the hardest things when you lead people to Christ. Okay, I mean, because you start leading people to Christ. I, I, I've, by God's grace, been able to lead several of you here in this room this last couple months. And no two are alike. They don't say the same things. Their personalities are different. Some get really emotional. Some just go, okay, that's done. And, and, and they believe, but they're just like, okay. They're just not really emotional. And the words 
And the temptation sometimes for us is to try to get people to, to parrot back certain words or to to have the same experience we have. And we and we got to step back and say, it's not what I do, it's what God's doing. As long as I've shared the gospel. Now, here's the thing. Here's what I know. That if you truly believe in your heart, it will come out in a public confession. And when is that usually done? When you get what? When you get baptized. Next week, we're going to have several of you who have recently believed in your heart. And yes, you pray. I always get after if someone say, do you understand this? Do you want to do this? Do you, do you want to trust Jesus? Turn to him. Give him your sins. Let's say thank you to God. I, I want them to verbalize it and say, God, thank you. Because sometimes in that prayer, you can hear in their prayer, they're still a little mixed up. And they'll say, God, thank you, and I'm going to try better. And so after they pray, you got to say, no, wait a minute. You do understand that he has done it all. Okay, I got it. It's hard. But over time, then you got to say, you need to tell somebody about it. And more than that, you need to tell the church and you need to tell God. And, and you go through baptism not to get saved, but to make this public confession. All right. There's more, but we can move on. First point, Christ and what he has done is easily available. And then here's the good news. Christ and what he's done is equally available. He is near to everyone. He's equally available. I think this is beautiful. Look at verses 12 through 13. Look at verses 12 through 13. Oh, let's look at 11. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jews who were law keepers and Greeks who were law breakers. For the same Lord is Lord of all. Remember, Jesus is Lord bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And we can just say, let's take a 15-minute break and go upstairs and watch this happen with the, the thief on the cross. Part two of this message is upstairs. Because this passage is lived out on the cross. That even if you're a rebel dying your last breath, if you will use that last breath to call on Him... You will be saved because he is equally available to everyone. Notice, Jesus is Lord of all, whether you call or not. That's why Philippians says one day, everyone will say, every mouth, every mouth will confess, not believe in their heart, not believe in their heart, but every mouth will confess that Jesus is Lord because he's Lord over all. So here's the deal. Do I come to him now or do I come to him later? Do I come to him now with a heart of belief and faith, repenting of my sins, believing in him, and I'm saved from everlasting hell? Or do I come to him later and I must bow the knee and I do not believe, but in my unbelief, I'm like, well, you are who you said you are. And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. Wow. But here's the good news. Jesus is rich to all who call. I love that. Jesus is rich to all who call. We're going to see upstairs that the rebel on the cross asked, would you remember me in your kingdom? And Jesus said, forget remembering you. You're going to be with me today. See, here's the beautiful thing. That when you came to Jesus, and if you, came, if you have come to Jesus like me, it was seven, I was 17 years old, what, 20, 30, I don't even know. Decades, sad to say, decades ago, I had no clue how rich he was going to be to me. I knew I wanted forgiveness. I knew I wanted a clear conscience. But what I didn't know is the richness that God would, gave me. Listen, if you will call on him today, he will give you more than you ask. And when God gives you more than you ask for in faith. That is a good Anyone really can go to heaven because the work of salvation is done by God and not by us. He came down 
and then he was buried, and he went down, and he came back up. Anyone can be go to heaven because of the message of Jesus Christ, the God-man, who lived, who died, who rose, and who reigns as Lord, is proclaimed. And because of the response, look at this, anyone can go to heaven because the response is easy in that all it requires is one's heart and one's lips. But it's hard because one must surrender all that they are to all that he is by faith. You've got to turn from I can do it to depend totally he has done it all. I beg you in the name of Jesus, receive him today if you have not received him. Confess him publicly in baptism if you have not been baptized. And if you have done those things, then ask yourself, when's the last time I've wept over lost people who are striving to be good enough? When's the last time I risked being rejected? I risked being ridiculed to say, my Jesus is Lord. And he can be rich to you if you'll but call on him. I can tell you how. Or I can take you someplace where they'll tell you. But it's really quite easy. Believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth. We have so much to be thankful. Let's pray. Father, we are uh, humbled. We are humbled by your generosity. You have done it all. You you have come down to us. and, And you went through hell on the cross. You went through hell being separated. Because of our sin. And you did it all. So that you could be rich to us. We could get off the treadmill of good work. Get on the the pathway. Doing what pleases you. Because you do it in us. Oh Lord. Do what only you can do today. Change our hearts. And those whose hearts have been changed. Lord. Open our mouth, break our heart, that we can share this message. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.